of the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, very familiar scripture uh, that I'll read into your hearing and deal with tonight, but I feel this is where the Lord have forced to be, and maybe it'll be a blessing help to you in these days. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Lord, I thank you tonight for the privilege, the opportunity to be in your house with your people. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the privilege you've afforded us to assemble together. Thank you, Lord, for the Word of God and the portion of Scripture that you've directed our heart to and the thoughts that you've laid upon our heart. I ask now, Lord, for heavenly wisdom, spiritual understanding that we might rightly divide the Word of Truth, Lord, that we might give scriptural instruction unto your people. Lord, that we might lead better by being in the house of God. Lord, that we might learn of you and grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way among us here. Do for us what we're unable to do for ourselves. Above everything, Lord, would you be glorified and magnified among us. Would you be exalted in this place Would we see you, Lord, I pray tonight above everything. May you speak to us through the Word of God. May it go forth in power and demonstration of the Spirit. May it find its lodging in the hearts of the hearers. May the good seed find good ground to fall on. Might it bring forth fruit in our lives. It might bring honor and glory to you. And we'll thank you, Lord, and praise you. Help us now. Give us that that we need in order to stand and be a blessing and a help to your people, and we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Of course, Paul is the one writing this letter, and he's dealt a lot in the book of Romans with the Christian life and our service to God. And here in the Scripture... He writes to the believer. He says, brethren, in verse number 1. And he's writing about our service. He calls it our reasonable service. The word reasonable, literally, if you look it up in its original, in the Greek, it means logical. That it's not some off-the-wall thing. For God to ask us to present ourselves a living sacrifice unto Him. It's our reasonable service. But He makes mention of some things that in order for us to do this, in order for us to complete this service, there are some things that it involves. The Lord began dealing my heart this morning during the Sunday school hour. And uh, put this scripture on my heart for the service tonight. And then throughout the day today, I pondered on it. And then as we were getting ready and coming to church tonight, uh, I want to deal with our service 
in verse number one, your reasonable service. Now, what is this reasonable service? Well, Paul said to present our bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. Now, the first thing we're going to have to take notice of is the fact that our sacrifice or our service has to be acceptable to God. It's not that we're striving to be acceptable to the brethren or acceptable to the church or acceptable to our family, but that we are striving to be acceptable in the sight of God. And so he says this sacrifice and what Paul is doing here is he is making a parallel with the Old Testament sacrifices that had to meet certain standards and criteria in order to be accepted by God. And so you and I as a believer in our reasonable service have to meet some criteria in order to be acceptable unto God. Now what are these criteria? Well he's going to address it generally in verse number 2 and then specifically from verse number 3 to verse number 21. Now I'm going to look at my Bible a lot tonight and read some verses and address some things but I believe this is where and how the Lord wants us to deal with the service tonight and this scripture. And so generally this is what Paul said in order for our body, our sacrifice to be holy and acceptable unto God and for us to meet our reasonable service that we must not be conformed to this world. Now that word conform means to follow the pattern. We cannot pattern our life after this world. More than once in the scripture we are told to come out from among the world and be a separate people. And that's where we get our doctrine of separation. It's in the Word of God. Now I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear me well. Separation is a twofold doctrine. We are living in a day, and I understand that there is carnality in the church, and that's a big reason nobody wants to hear about separation. But I also believe, within my own personal opinion, that the reason that separation and preaching on separation is so downplayed and the minute a preacher starts preaching about separation, folks turn him off. is because it's been preached too one-sided in this day. It is a twofold doctrine. There is separation from, that is that we come out from the world. That we as the people of God separate ourselves from sin, from the things of the world, from things that are unclean, from things that are unholy. We can take typology from the Old Testament when God spoke to the children of Israel, told them not to make leagues with other nations, not to marry their people, not to serve their gods. That is the doctrine or the principal foundation of separation typified in the Old Testament that we come out from among the world and be a separate people holy unto God. And so that is separation from is the coming out from among them. But then separation, the second part, 
It's not just that we separate from, but that we separate unto. Everybody's heard preaching about separation from, but very little people have heard preaching about separating unto. You can drop a whole lot of things, but if you don't fill those voids with the things of God, then you're only half separating. A separation is a step away from the world, and then it is a step in the direction of God. That's what he said. Come out from among them, that is separation from, and be ye holy, a separate people unto the Lord. That's separation to. Many people have uh, made voids in their life and there's nothing wrong with laying aside things, cutting ties of things in the means of separation. But you're going to have to put God and the things of God in those places or you're only half separating. And just preaching a separation one-sided becomes legalism and it becomes a burden to the people of God if all the preacher does is browbeat and tell you how you ought to quit this and quit that I understand there may be some things uh, that we need to quit and probably more things in this day uh, that we need to quit that we haven't quit yet Uh, but if you don't preach some separation unto God uh, that you feel that void with the things of God it becomes a burden to the people there's no joy hear me Uh, the true joy of separation does not come uh, from separating from the world Uh, the true joy in separation Separation comes when we separate unto God. That's right. It's hard on the flesh to separate from the world, but it's joy in the Spirit when we separate unto God. It's hard on the flesh to cut ties with some things, but when the Spirit man, that inner man, that's been quickened, when he sees that in laying aside these things, that we get to move one step closer to God, that it produces greater joy and contentment and satisfaction and happiness in the life of the believer. And so we got to be separated, but it needs to be full separation. Full separation. I'm sick to death of hearing half separation. And I don't mean that bad, and I'm not browbeating. But we can pick on petty, I can preach petty things all day long, but it ain't doing us any good. If the separation that we're producing if the separation that's working in us, if the separation that we are doing from the world does not then in turn produce a move toward God, it is false separation. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, there's, I'm just preaching. I mean, it's just us. I mean, there's some but I mean, they've come and they know. I'm telling you, I just preach whatever, I mean, I'm trying to preach whatever the Lord puts on my heart. I'm telling you, I, I've heard it and heard it and heard it. And it's become a burden. God never meant for separation to be a burden to His people. That's right. And, and, and I know that there's a crowd out there that if you preach on any little thing, they call you a legalist. But truly, we, we've not really seen much legalism. True legalism is doing what you do to earn your place. But I'm going to tell you what we do have. And I don't know if it's the right word or not in the mountains, we have preacherism. And what that means is people do what they do because the preacher said so. And I understand there should be respect for the man of God. 
if you love the man of God and have enough confidence in him or to sit under his pastoralship and under his leadership uh, for your family there ought to be a respect uh, for the man of God and you ought to do some things that he says to do I understand that uh, but we ought to know from the Bible why we do what we do you don't do what you do for the preacher if you do it's a burden to you you do what you do for God but we're sitting back where we were this morning. It's not about the preacher. And it's not about the church. It's about Christ. And we do what we do for Him. Amen. And that's the only kind of separation that will produce joy in your life is separation from the world and unto God. Yes, and so that's what Paul's saying. Be not conformed to this world. That's come out from among them. But be transformed. That's being moved in the direction of God. Here even the Apostle Paul covers twofold separation. Be not conformed, don't follow their pattern. But be transformed. Now the word transformed in Romans 12 too is where we in our modern day get our word metamorphosis. It's the word that explains what happens when a caterpillar goes inside the cocoon and comes out a butterfly. That is metamorphosis. And so what Paul is saying is when you uh, separate from the world and separate unto God, uh, there will be a transformation in you and it is worked by the renewing of your mind. Now this is not talking about salvation. These, These verses are written to those who are already saved. But there is a renewal. But there is a work that is done in the heart of the believer in the work of separation. It's the same word. This word transformed is the same word that is used of the Lord when He's on the Mount of Transfiguration. When He changed outwardly. And that's where you must apply the Scriptures in their context It is an outward change. The inward change has already worked in salvation. And now the outward change comes in renewal of the mind when we practice separation from the world. I understand that when we get saved there probably will be somewhat of an instant outward work that when the Lord works on the inside He works His way out. I'm not talking about a second work of grace even though I believe in a second and a third and a fourth. I'm not talking about salvation but we're a mariner of grace. God gives us grace every day. But there will be a continuation that will work its way outward when we don't conform, when we separate from this world and separate unto God. It will bring an outward change that everybody around us sees there's a difference in us. That's what the Lord said, let your light shine before men. How are they going to know you got a light? Is because it shines in the darkness. And we're in a dark day and we need some people of God to shine in the darkness. And the only way we can do that is by offering ourselves a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable by not being conformed to this world but being transformed by the renewing of our mind and in doing so we prove, as what Paul said, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Somebody said, I want to know what the perfect will of God is. Well, give yourself to God and you'll know the perfect will of God. We make knowing the will of God too hard. And I understand there are some things 
uh, that we may labor over knowing the will of God. Uh, but we just give ourselves to Him and separate from the world and separate unto Him. Uh, the Apostle Paul said we won't just know it, uh, but we'll prove it. It will come out of us what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's right. That is right. So how do we do this? Well, this sacrifice, I begin to read some of these verses. We can't just stop at verse number 2. If we're going to understand what our reasonable service is, what this thing of being a living sacrifice is, we can't stop at verse number 2. This whole chapter is, it covers what is being mentioned. Uh, generally in verses 1 and 2, now Paul is going to get specific from verse 3 to verse 21 about some things, some outward duties, uh, some ways of living uh, that we as the people of God uh, must show ourselves and conduct ourselves in order to be a living sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And there are four areas, I think, this is the way the Lord put it on my heart. I think we could separate these verses into four areas of our person that must be dealt with in order for us to be a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. And the first area of these is probably one of the hardest, and that's our attitude. Your attitude has to be dealt with in order for you to be an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God. Listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, that's for every single individual, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's dealing with our attitude. It's not that when we become a living, this thing of being a living sacrifice, that's holy and acceptable unto God and this thing of not being conformed to this world but being transformed is not a bragging point for the people of God. I've met people and you probably have too. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think too much of them. I mean, we just might as well be honest. They won't go around acting like they're better than everybody else. It's not what God said to do. Just because I have walked in the light that God's given me and He's given me greater light and maybe I do have a better understanding of some things other than somebody else does not give me the right to think I'm better than they are. He said no man ought to think more highly of himself than he ought to think but to think soberly. This thing of sobriety. I began to read and study and I thought about and I came across a quote and I don't mention other authors much. But when I do it means something. And Matthew Henry said this, he said it's a great statement about Moses' character that his face shone and he didn't know it. Now you think about that just a minute. Moses had, according to Scriptures, what we can gather from the Scriptures, Moses had no idea that his face was shining from his closeness to God until he came off the mountain and they said we can't look on you. And they had to put a veil over his face. Moses didn't come out the mountain saying, Hey, I've been with God. But there was enough evidence in Moses' life and he didn't even realize it that he had been with God. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, okay, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to the book of Acts. 
when they charged the apostles not to speak in the name of Christ. And they did it anyway. And then they became, they came before trial. And here's what the Bible said. They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's what the Bible said. He said it is apparent to us a few things. He, they said now, oh, we can get our feelings hurt if we want to, but it ain't about education. The people said it's apparent to us you are unlearned and ignorant men. And what they really meant by that, if you want to go in the context, I think I'm rightly dividing the scripture here, is they didn't have a thorough understanding of the law or the languages. You don't have the education that we have but it is apparent to us you've been with Jesus. Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with education as long as you can get it and it don't get you. The problem with many people in this day is education, higher education, and I'm not promoting ignorance either, but higher education often takes away the sober-mindedness of men. And we get to thinking too highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And then we quit being an acceptable sacrifice to God. But when we ought to do is we ought to study the Scriptures and ask God to give us insight and spend some time with Him and then let the world see, not through our flagging it, not through our bragging about it, but just by what they see in us, that we have been with Jesus. That's right. And so our attitude, we can't think highly of ourselves, has to do with our mind. Oh, everything in here is speaking about the mind. The mind. In verse 16, he said, "Be of the, and I'm going to skip down to there and then we'll come back because I think verse 16 links to verse number 3. Be of the same mind, one toward another. Because in verse number 3, he said, Think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now there's some words in there I want you to uh, uh, highlight or underline. Uh, whether you write in your Bible, uh, you can do that or highlight them in your mind if you don't. Uh, but the words I want you to understand in verse number 3 that Paul made clear is it as God hath dealt. This measure of faith has been given to every man by God. And so we have nothing to do with it. Now I do understand that when God tests the faith of an individual and every person that's been given faith, that faith will be tested, that our faith becomes stronger. But the Bible said it is God who hath dealt to every man the measure of faith given him. And so it's not that we have a, another bragging point to go around and brag about our faith. If that's what we're doing, it ain't real faith anyway. It's not producing what God wants it to produce. But he said God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. It all comes from God. It's not earned. It's not deserved. And he says to every man, nobody has a monopoly on the Spirit of God. It's not reserved. We have this misinformation 
And it's been mentioned by me and by Brother Tim in Sunday school many times that nobody has a monopoly on the Spirit. The Spirit of God and being filled with the Spirit, living the abundant life. And I'm not talking about the charismatic one either. I'm talking about the one that's in the Word of God. It's not reserved for a select few. It is something that is available to every believer that's saved by the grace of God. And so we can't think more highly of ourselves than someone else. But in verse 16, he said, Be of the same mind, one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. In our terminology, he said, Get along with everybody. It don't matter what they have, what they don't have. If they're a part of the family of God, we're all in the same family with the same Father. Got there the same way. Have been built the measure of faith by the same God. That's what he said. So our attitude has to be dealt with. He uses the illustration about many members, one body, many members. We're all in this thing together. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, all members have not the same office. So it doesn't make, uh, because he says in another place in 1 Corinthians, I think it is, he said because the can the eye say because I'm not the hearing I'm not of the body or the ear say because I'm not the seeing I'm not of the body he said we're many members but we're all in one body and we all have need of those members and not every member functions the same way or holds the same office but they're still all part of the same body Paul's trying to get them to understand we're all in this together so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. All of them are needed and necessary. If they weren't, God wouldn't have put them there. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. So what Paul's saying is whatever your part, whatever your position, whatever your function in the body, he said in the book of 1 Corinthians, every member is set in the body as seemed good to God to put it there. And so we must recognize that our place in the body has been appointed unto us by God and whatever our position, we ought to do it to the best of our ability by the grace of God. We ought not to think that we're not a part of the body because we don't have so-and-so's office. God put us where He knew we were best fitted in the body. And so we have to work on our attitude. It's something that works that we must work on daily. These are not things that Paul's covering here. These are not things that we get it in check once and then that's good enough for the rest of our life. These are things that require daily maintenance. Most of y'all know that through the summer predominantly I work at a body shop when school's out. And uh, we got a wreck in a couple weeks ago, a big fleet truck, and uh, came all the way from, from Florida for us to work on it because the, the place that makes the beds for that particular uh, fleet, it's not all tech, it's another place, uh, they are manufactured in Mitchell County, so they always bring the fleet trucks to us to work on them. And uh, long story short, I was 
checking something inside the cabin. I started to get out, and on the side of the door, it, there was a daily checklist. And it said, before you pull out, these are the things that you need to check. And it began to list all the things, air pressure and all these things. Brother Jordan probably know better than I will what they all were. But these are the things that I'm preaching to you and dealing with tonight. These are daily checklists for the people of God. These are not things we can just get. It's not one and done. It's a daily thing. Every day we get up, we better make sure that if we're going to be a living sacrifice that's acceptable to God, that our attitude is in check. And that has to do with our attitude about ourselves and our attitude about others. It has to be in check. And then not only our attitude, but Paul addresses our affections. The things that drive us. How we love. In verse number 9, he said, Let love be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy, without separation. Not fake love. In one of the Scriptures it says, Unfeigned love of the brethren. That means sincerity. That we sincerely love. Let love be without dissimulation. Let it be true. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. That means above yourself. That's in another scripture that we prefer our brother above ourself that for love to be right as we're in the body and there to be no separation no division it means that I need to love you more than I love myself and if I love God right just like we preached on this morning it shouldn't be much trouble for me to love you more than I love myself But I have to keep myself in check and make sure, number one, that I'm loving God right and then that I'm loving you right. So we have to deal with our affections. We are a family. It should be a family atmosphere when we come into the house of God for we're all in the same family. There should be no division. That's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about. And he dealt with them on numerous occasions about divisions in the church. And he said there should be no schism in the body. He said if there's division in the body, the members suffer. And when the family atmosphere is lost in the church, the church suffers. That is right. We lost the, I'm not talking about entertainment and fun, but I'm talking about a true love one for another. That's a family atmosphere that despite our faults, I'm not talking about overlooking sin and condoning sin, but I'm saying despite our faults, despite our failures, we may have some petty disagreements about some things that probably really don't matter anyway, and we don't need to spend a bunch of time on them. Brother Billy Mitchell talked about dead doctrines, and there's a bunch of them out there that we're wasting our time on. Uh, let's major on the things that are most surely believed among us and that profit us in the work and the way and the walk with God. Amen. Seen too many people divide and the majority of people have divided over petty things. Things that didn't even matter in the first place. Things that have no bearing in light of eternity. And there's a lot of so-called doctrine. 
Now I'm not talking about biblical doctrine. There's a lot of extra biblical doctrine that's being preached for biblical doctrine in this day and it's causing division among the church because it's making a certain group of people feel like they're better than everybody else and it breaks the family atmosphere. That's right. It affects our love. When we think we're better than everybody else, our love is affected. We don't love like we ought to. We don't. It's impossible. We love our family, natural family, in spite of their faults and failures. We may disagree with them, fall out with them from time to time, but there's still a natural love there. And it should be that way with the people of God. There's a na- that's what Paul said. I mentioned it this morning. He told the church at Thessalonica, we're taught of God. It comes natural to love one another. And so we have to make sure our affections are in check. Then he speaks about our actions. In verses 11 through 15, these are outward manifestations. He says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So he's going to talk about our service. He says, rejoicing in verse 12, rejoicing in hope. That's our praise. Patient in tribulation when trouble comes, when storms come, do we patiently endure what the Bible said we're to let patience have her perfect work continuing instant in prayer how is our prayer life distributing to the necessity of saints are we a cheerful giver given to hospitality do we make people feel welcome bless them which persecute you that's pretty hard bless and curse not Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And weep with them that weep. That's going back to what he spoke to the church at Corinth about. When one member suffers, all the members suffer. When one rejoices, all rejoice. Be of the same mind. We covered that already. One toward another. Mind not high things. Condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense. Verse 17. To no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Our actions. Somebody said God's not only served or we not only serve God when we work, when we're called, but sometimes we serve God when we sit quietly, when we suffer. There's a lot of truth to that. And then he talks about our associations, how we conduct ourselves among others. Verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. We're not out for vengeance or to get revenge. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now he's not just talking about believers here. All men. If it be possible as much life in you, live peaceably with all men. All men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now I want to take a pause right here, and then I'll cover verse 21, then I'll be done. This verse has been misapplied so many times in verse number 20. The idea that Paul is preaching here, teaching, 
is not that we do good in hopes that it will heap coals of fire on their head. That, that's not the idea that's given. I've heard people say, well, I'm just going to do good to that person that hurt me because God said he'd heap coals of fire on his head. That's not right. That's not the attitude. We better back up and get our attitude and our affections and our actions in check for our associations to be in check. It is a genuine love put in us from God that even though they have done us wrong, we know that it is acceptable in the sight of God for us to be good to those that do us wrong and we'll leave the rest up to God. That's right. That's good. That's right. The person that makes the other interpretation is really putting themselves in the position of God. That's right. And the ver- it's no coincidence that verse number 20 come after verse 20, 19 where the Lord said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. What God's saying is don't worry about getting even. Live peaceably with them. Be good to them. Let your light shine before them. Show compassion to them because I had compassion on you. Is that not what Jesus said? When the, when the disciple, now, the Lord's prayer, the model prayer as we call it, was never, hear me, was never intended for us to just repeat the words the Lord said. It wasn't what He meant. It was a model to pray by. To when we pray, these are the things we should focus on. For His will to be done. For us to receive from Him what we need for the day. To be delivered from evil. All these things. And He said to forgive others as you have been forgiven. He said, how can we ask God to forgive us if we won't forgive others? That's right. He said, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Ain't that right? Forgive, those, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. It's worded two ways in the Gospels. And it's not a contradiction. It means the same thing. It means what Paul's saying here. If your enemy is hungry, even though he did you wrong and called you bad names last week, be nice to him and feed him. Extend the love of Christ to him. It's been extended to you. And leave the rest up to God. Let Him take care of the after. He said, be not overcome in verse 21 of evil, but overcome evil with good. We're to let our light shine. I think it was Peter that said we're to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And that's where we are. Paul said it again in Philippians 2 that we're to shine as lights in the world. And the only way we can do that is to extend the love of God that's been extended to us. It's to do these things that Paul has addressed about our associations with other people. And if we're going to be, according to Scripture, if we're putting it in its context, and I believe we are, if we're going to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God, fulfilling our reasonable service, being not conformed to this world, transformed by the root of our mind, then we must deal with our attitude, our affections, our actions, and our associations. And if we'll do these things... 
then we'll be an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God. Matters not what the Baptists say. Matters not what the church up the road and down the road says. The only thing that matters is what thus saith the Word of God. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul was commissioned to pen Romans 12 to tell us how to be an acceptable sacrifice in the eyes of God. And in order to do that requires separation from the world, part one, and separation unto God, part two. And separation involves our affections, our actions, our attitude, and our associations. Lord, help us to glean and gather some things in the Word of God. Help us in our daily living. We should come in here and get instruction. That's the mission field. That's the laboring part. Come in here to get instruction and help and strength so we can go out tomorrow and labor and do what's right and acceptable in the sight of God. Lord, help us. Father, I thank you tonight for this time together. Thank you for each.